0: This man went to a, a marriage retreat, a marriage conference. And uh, while they were there, they do what they do sometimes at these conferences. They'll say, well, you know, everybody that's been married uh, five years or more, uh, please stand up. So, you know, a large group of people stood up uh, in the audience. And uh, then they, they kind of go through and start eliminating. But Okay, those of you that have been married uh, for uh, less than ten years, uh, please sit down. So a group of people sat down and then... Those of you that have been married less than 15 years, uh, sit down. Another group sat down, and there were fewer people now. Those of you that have been married for 20 years or less, uh, please uh, sit down. Another group sat. So they got up to 45 years, and uh, there were only a few people left. And so, you know, um, those of you that have been married for uh, uh, less than 45 years, please sit down. Most everybody sat down except for one man. And uh, this fellow was standing there alone. So the woman s- that was leading the seminar said, Oh, sir, how, how long have you been married? 49 years. Getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary in a few months. And she said, That is just wonderful. She said, How, how did you manage uh, to stay married for so long? And she said, he said, You know, was, I try to buy my wife nice presents. I give her money when she needs it. And I take her on vacations, nice vacations. In fact, for our 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to the Bahamas. So the lady was just, oh, that is so nice. You took her to the Bahamas. Uh, What are you going to do for your 50th anniversary? And he said, well, you know, I've been thinking of going back to the Bahamas to pick her up. We've been looking at a, a... section of Ephesians now that gets into marriage and relationships and husbands and wives and children and uh, the workplace employers and employees and uh, these jokes sometimes are funny because they're so true you see there's a lot of stress in relationships anyone that has been married even if you have an idyllic marriage Uh, There are still tensions. You have to be uh, willing to give way and to make room in your life uh, for that other person. If you're a child or a parent, you have to do the same for your children. If you're a worker or an employer, you have to do the same thing for those people that are working for you or to whom you are employed. And I told you last week, those of you that were here will remember that the problem that human beings have, the problem that we all have across the board, 100%, it's one of the few things we can say is true of everybody, and that is that at the root of our problems in relationships is selfishness, self-centeredness. Non-self-centeredness is not uh, normal for us. It's not normal to be willing to give way, to defer your needs and your wants for those of another person. It's very difficult. And it touches us at the very core of who we are as human beings. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're, regardless of the religion that you may practice or believe is the right one, or perhaps you don't have any religion, it doesn't matter. Every human being has this tendency towards self-centeredness even people like uh, Mother Teresa if you read her writing she will tell you that one of the things she struggled with was selfishness and self-centeredness Mother Teresa well if Mother Teresa struggled with it you can be sure uh, that you and I do as well so we have to battle this constant pressure within each of us towards self-centeredness and self-orientation and what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's coming along and he's saying, this is the problem. He's, he's already given us four, we're into the end of the fifth chapter, so he's given us five chapters of things that Christians are to be paying attention to in order to make their lives not only harmonious among themselves, but so that we can actually accurately uh, represent Christ to the world. You know, the charge that comes against Christianity is that we're hypocritical. And I would say to that charge, Amen. At the heart of hypocrisy is self-centeredness. And if you don't know that and don't embrace that, then it's very difficult to find any value in Christianity at all. Central to help healthy relationships is what Paul says in this very excellent verse 21 submitting yourselves to one another out of fear or reverence for Christ Paul starts this part of his letter this part of the chapter by saying there is an umbrella or a rubric that that is supposed to filter down and inform everything else you do. So he says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ is the baseline by which we measure our lives against other people. In other words, are we giving way? Are we deferential? Are we submitting? And the word in Greek is hupotasso and it means it's a military term and we have a lot of military folks here and you know that in the military you are called to line up and uh, get squared away and and, and be in a certain order and that order and lining up is, is a symbol if you will of your willingness to defer your rights to a commander. And say, you know what, I'm going to give up a certain amount of my rights in order to line up behind this person and follow them for the good of the whole. In other words, we can do more together than we can do apart. Which was, in fact, the very idea behind God creating woman for man. It was not to create the woman to be His servant, or to be his, his, uh, his, his helper, his assistant. You know, get over here and do this and do that for me. That wasn't the idea. The idea was that she was one that was supposed to line up with him as they faced the battle to push back the chaos of this created world. He put them in a garden, put them in paradise and said extend, be fruitful, multiply, extend the paradise, extend the garden into the chaos and bring, and bring peace and glory to all of the world. Make more images of God by having children, by reproducing. And so behind this idea is that for the sake of others, we are willing to defer our rights through service, through love. And I gave you a couple quotes, let me read them quickly to you. This is from Dr. Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary. Mutual submission does not mean that there is no authority structure in the life of the church. When we're talking about verse 21, if you look at it in your notes or your Bible, mutual submission is not saying there's no authority structure. What it is saying that it is this. each. It is rather that in personal relationships, each member regards others as more important than themselves now this is going to be very very difficult for you to look around and say that other people are more important because what we do is we grade everybody we are constantly doing this and we are doing what the apostle paul says in another place we measure ourselves by ourselves we compare ourselves with everyone else and we we create a sort of a scale a moving scale and you know this one i'm better than this one i'm not as good as that one. Oh, oh i'm way better than this person I'm like well i can't be like mother Teresa, so i've got to find some so we start moving things around and juggling the pieces so that we can find a place to live and be somewhat reasonably healthy in our mind. Paul is pushing that. He's saying the one thing that you need to do is vigorously attack that self-centeredness doesn't mean you become a doormat. What it does mean is that you become so confident in your relationship to your, to, to your God and to Jesus Christ that other things don't knock you down uh, the way that they sometimes will. Tim Keller, I'm just going to paraphrase Keller, but here, here's Keller and then we'll get into the, these couple aspects we're going to look at this morning. Paul assumes that a Spirit-filled life... you call yourself a Christian... It's easy to say I'm a Christian. It's not so easy sometimes to act like one. But if you are going to say I'm a Christian, Paul assumes that a spirit filled life is to be one of removing, listen, removing oneself from the center of relationship and deferring to others, which sets the stage for wives' biblical submission and respect for her husband. The husband loving wives as Christ loves the church, children obeying and paying attention to their parents, employees working well, honestly, with integrity, respecting their employer, and employers treating workers with dignity and respect. That's what it means to submit. Okay? So, we're going to look at it uh, this morning. I'm, I, I had hoped that I could get all three of these in, but I know I, but I can already tell you we're only going to get to two. We're going to do, first of all, wives respecting their husbands, husbands loving their wives. You see, get this picture, folks. Here's the rubric mutual submission, mutual respect. Every human being has equal dignity before God. And so, all people. All people are not to take orders from everybody. So he's not talking about mere authority. Is authority and obedience contained in submission? Yes. But what he's doing is he's laying a baseline. And he's saying this submission I'm talking about is in fact respecting and giving honor to the other person, to other people. And here's what it looks like. Now he breaks it out starting in verse 22. He says, wives, and in Greek... The word submit is not there. Wives are never told to submit to their husbands in the original Bible. Ladies, can you say amen to that? Don't you love that? No, what he does, Paul borrows, and this is nothing unusual. He does it in lots of places, and Greek in general does that. He borrows from verse 21. So in verse 22, what it says is, Wives to your own husbands. So he's borrowing submission from verse 21. And listen, folks, I've taught you now for 12, 13 years at this church, going on 13 years, that you get meaning from context. Yes? You get it from context. So Paul is telling us, here's how the wife is to submit. She's to submit the way that we all submit to each other. Do you see it? Now this is going to be new for some of you, and I hope that it is. And we'll correct some of the problems that we have. He's borrowing the word submit from verse 21. He's saying, this is how you do it. By respecting, by reverence to Christ, by mutual def- by deference to the other things. So she's done. listen ladies, Paul is simply saying, you are to respect and honor and give reverence to your husband. Doesn't mean you get out and kiss his feet, although maybe that's not such a bad idea but but no 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 he's not talking about that he's talking about something listen carefully that is systemically wrong with you ladies now don't get it all up you know i'm not i'm going to get a little bit up in your business but don't get mad at me i'm just going to tell you what paul is saying to you ladies he's telling you recognize that there is something systemically wrong with you And that the way that you root out and dig in and get at the heart of that thing is to recognize what it is. And where we find it, listen to this, I'm speaking mostly to the ladies, so men, do not do this. Do not sit there and punch your wife with your elbow and say, listen to Chuck, he's really on target this morning. Don't do that. But ladies, listen. It's a systemic problem. And where we get it is in Genesis chapter 3. It's a consequence of the fall. I'm going to read it to you for sake of time. Listen. This is verse 16, chapter 3. This is God pronouncing His judgment after they ate the fruit after they violated and committed treason against God. I will surely multiply multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain shall you bring forth children. And he's not talking about the pain, the physical pain of labor. What he's talking about is the emotional and spiritual fear and pain that comes along with childbirth, along with the joy and the glory of, of having a child, every parent, man and woman, but I know that it happens with, with women because I'm married to one and I know how she feels. You, you start to feel this anxiety over your children. And it can be a healthy worry. You don't want them to get hurt. You don't want them to walk into the street. You don't want them to take drugs. You don't want them to, to you know, drive uh, 90 miles an hour. You don't want them, I'm naming some of the things my kids did. You don't want them to do all those things. And so there's a fear that where once before the fall, women can have the confidence that their children would be be uh, born into paradise and that all would be well. Now you know when you have children, all is not well. Culture's not well. We're not well. The children sometimes are not well. I'm not talking about just physical maladies. We know that they're going to be facing the same sin that we face. And so there's a certain pain associated with it. But he says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now in Hebrew, this is very difficult to translate. It's difficult to translate. The word desire is only used in three, three places in the entire Old Testament. So it's hard to get a fix on it. But basically, after, after reading enormous amounts of commentaries and thinking about this, I think... I think what it means, I'm sure this is what it means, that a part of the consequences of the fall is that a woman, her desire for her husband, whether it's passionate desire, a need, an unhealthy need for him, that's one option. That the husband or the man becomes an idolatrous figure. In the woman's life. She needs him. That's one. The other option is. And I think that. My answer to this folks. And I'll just be very honest. I think it's both of them. But people get into camps. And so I'm going to give you both camps. One is that her desire. She's going to need him too much. Um. The other one is this word for, that for can also be translated against. So you would say, uh, your desire shall be against your husband and he shall rule over you. I think it's the second one more than the first one, but I also think that the first one is in play. The desire is going to be there for the woman to control and possess her husband and instead he is going to rule over her in other words this theme is introduced right away of conflict the wife is going to be exerting herself in the relationship and the husband is going to be resisting and fighting back in other words they're both going to be vying for control and the way that women and men, but I'm, again, I'm speaking to you ladies right now. I'll talk to the men in a second for a much longer time uh, because we need it. You've got to confront that tendency, ladies, or you're not going to be able to hear what the Apostle Paul is saying. You've got to admit it. You know what? I do have this desire to be in control. I do express these things. And we do it... or. Ladies and men do this, but often it's done deceitfully or covertly. In other words, you will show indifference to the man or passive aggressiveness to the man. In other words, you're not living up to my expectations. You're not doing what I want. So, therefore, I don't care what you do. Yes? No? Say yes. Yes? I don't care what you do. It doesn't matter. You become indifferent. And what indifference is, if hate is the opposite of love, the greatest expression of hatred and disrespect would be what? Indifference. It's saying, I don't care. You don't matter. How much more could you cut the heart of a human being, a man in particular, how much more could you cut his heart than to say, I don't care, it doesn't matter. That's passive aggressiveness, indifference. You can also be hostile, openly hostile. And you find this in some relationships. I've told you I haven't made any bones about it. Marty V and I fight. We used to fight more than we do now uh, because we're so sanctified and so holy at this point in our lives that we're fighting less. I actually think it's just because I'm getting old and I have less testosterone. Does that embarrass some of you? It's actually true. We just get old. We get tired. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't have the energy for it. And so we're very holy now. But you can be openly hostile ladies, you can carp, you can complain, you can let your husband know that you're always dissatisfied. You know what, he could jump over the moon, he could leap tall buildings in a single bound, he could do all kinds of things, and you're always going to tell him it's not enough, it's not quite good enough, it's not quite good enough. And it just kills a man. And the man's reaction is not always uh, good. You need to embrace, ladies, and then we'll move on to the guys. You've got to embrace and reclaim that unique position that you were originally made for. And that is not to be his servant and his gopher and doing everything for him all the time. That is not submission. What it does mean is that you're going to recognize the problem and deal with your part of that problem that you're going to get in the fight and say, you know, I'm in it with you now. You've got problems, husband, but I'm in it with you. And I'm going to go to bat with you. I'm going to go to the battle with you. We're going to face the enemy together instead of standing there and throwing the ball back and forth at each other with with mutual uh, uh, blame and blame shifting. No, no, we're going to take the ball and we're going to put the ball over there and we're both going to address the problem. Because the original, the original scenario here was Eve ate the fruit. Adam was with her. He ate too. And then when they get caught, she blames the serpent. Adam blames her. And Adam blames God. The woman you gave me. It's your fault. You gave me this woman. Henny Youngman, my favorite theologian, Henny Youngman's wife called him and said, there's water in the carburetor. The car won't run anymore. And Henny Youngman says, well, how come the car's got water in the carburetor? She says, well, it's in the swimming pool. (laughs) I had the car get in the swimming pool. She said, I took a left in the kitchen. Ladies, you have to embrace that unique position that God has created you to to face the world with your husband. Not at His feet, but at His side. Face the problems. Deal with your own. And let Him know that you're for Him. That, That He is the most important thing in your life. Apart from God Himself, He's the most important thing in your life. Let me say this last thing to you ladies. The problem with you ladies is not falling out of love with your husband. I have yet to meet a woman who says, I no longer love my husband. They always love their husbands no matter what, right? Because ladies, don't you love everything? Don't you love the drapes? Don't you love that piece of pottery? Don't you love that dress? Don't you love those sunglasses? Don't you love that? Ladies are built to love and they love things. And they will love even an abusive husband. And so the problem is not falling out of love. The problem is losing respect for your husband and making him feel like every single day he's got to earn your respect. And when he doesn't earn it, you let him know he hasn't earned it and that nothing he does is good enough and you will crush your man. You want to crush him? Do it. That's what you do. That's how you crush him. Make him feel like he has to earn your respect. Make him feel like he's got to, ne- that he never gets your respect, never feel like he has it, and you will um, crush him. That's submission. Now, husbands, what causes your wife, let me talk to you men for a second, what causes your wife uh, to disrespect you? Let, let, me, let me read you the same thing in Genesis. And... Uh, Please bear with me and listen carefully to what happened. This is the the consequences on the woman, uh, and they weren't a curse, by the way. God only cursed the ground; he did not curse the people. Yes, that's very significant. Most people think God cursed them. He did not curse his creation. He cursed the ground for the man's sake, which is a separate thing. Verse 16, I will surely multi- multiply your pain and childbearing, that's to the woman. But verse 17, he's talking to the man. To Adam, he says this, because you've listened to the voice of your life wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed be the ground for your sake. and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat uh, the plants of the field By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you were, and dust you shall return. What he told the man was this, now where things were going to work well for you, things are now going to be, listen men, out of control. Out of your control. And so just like women want to control and manipulate their husbands, either passively or aggressively, we also have a problem with control. We want to control everything around us, and we especially want to control our wives and our environment and our work and our recreation. We want things to be under control, and they're simply not under our control. They often do not go the way we want them to. And because things are not under control, here's what men generally, now some of you may not struggle with this, but maybe you do. One is that we are going to have a problem with aggression. Things are going to be moving out of our control, and so we aggressively move towards them to pull them back. And aggression is not a bad thing. Aggression is a good thing. If you're trying to remove a tree stump from your front yard, what do you need? Aggression. Whether it's with dynamite or a big truck or some crane or a lot of tools or whatever you need, you're going to need some relative force against that. But it's how we use it. We sometimes are aggressive and angry for all the wrong reasons. Like when our wife isn't doing everything we want them to do. Or our children are not acting the way we want them to act. Or our job is not turning out the way it's supposed to turn out. Or our health is betraying us. All of these things cause men, not all men, but many of us to struggle with anger and aggression. And if you take That anger, Now, this is not coming from, I could quote you author after author after author. Who says that when a a man starts to exert anger and aggression against his wife, the first thing she loses for him is what? What? Respect. She loses respect for him. The other problem that men can exhibit, and maybe you fall in this category, I don't know, and that's passivity. You just become so passive like milk toast. There's a lack of get up and go. These men often won't work. They won't do anything. A woman says, you know, fix that thing in the house, and, you know, it isn't fixed. And six months later, it's in so she reminds you six months later, to fix it. And we'll get to it, ladies. We're not going to promise you what century it will be in. But so there's, there's this, this lack of get up and go, this passivity, and it can often be expressed in uh, our spiritual lives. You know, women, one of the things that I like about our denomination, I know some of y'all just, this is sidebar, parenthetical, The Presbyterian Church in America does not ordain women to ecclesiastical office. So if you fill out that red paper, make sure that it's men only. And we get a lot of heat for that. So how come women aren't ordained in your denomination? And that's because we don't find any biblical warrant for ordination to an ecclesiastical office by women. But in our church, in our denomination as a whole, and in this church in particular, we have more men than we have women. Did you know that? Statistically. More men active at Christ the King Presbyterian Church than women. And ladies, that's a good thing. Like Raylene told me last week. She says, you know, I was glad to come to a church where the men do all the work. It's always been the ladies doing everything, right? I said, great, let's let the men do something for once in a while. It's good to see male involvement in the church. Good to see men studying their Bible. Good to see men spiritually involved. But how many of you have been in church where ladies run the show? And ladies are the spiritual head in their family. And ladies know more about their Bible and they know more about this. and I know more than my husband. I have to teach my husband everything he knows. Don't let that happen to you, men. Pick up your Bible. Learn something. We can help you with that. So aggression, passivity... And of course, indifference. A husband can do to his wife the same thing. You say, you know what? Nothing I do satisfies her. Nothing I do is making her happy. I work my, my fingers to the bone, and all I do is get complaints and carps and whatever, and nothing is good enough, so I'm done. And you become indifferent, which is a form of, certainly, a form of hatred and not loving your wife. So, men, wives, Respect your husbands. Honor them. Give them their place. That's what Paul's saying to you. Push back that consequence of the original sin. Push against it. Recognize it. Deal with it. And to the men, he says this, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, we could talk about this for hours on end, but men, look. Look at the passage. Paul, it's this long The part to the woman is this long. Just look at it. Do you get the picture? A lot is riding on whether or not you will submit to your Savior Jesus Christ. Whether you'll give Him your submission. And say, I will love my wife. I will. I will do it no matter what. Even if it costs me Down to my very life. Look at the words, the verbs he uses. Very powerful verbs he uses. Five. He says you are to love your wives as Christ loved your church. You're to uh, to, to, it loves his church. You're to give yourself to the wife, even unto the point of death. Your job in life is to sanctify her, or cleanse her, or set her apart as beautiful. In other words, there's no no place for abuse whether it's verbal abuse or neglect all the way to physical abuse there's no place for that you're to be treating her as a delicate object to be prized and held up and sacrificed for and spent for you, not, maybe not money spend your life for them do you see it men love Gave Himself for her, sanctified her, cleansed her so that He could present her. The whole idea is so that a man can take his wife and hold her up with pride before God and say, I gave Myself for this. Just like You gave Yourself for Me. Just exactly like You gave Yourself for Me. I can't say it better than Dr. John Stott. So I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to listen. It's a little bit long, but please bear with me. What Paul stresses... Men, listen. This is to you. What Paul stresses is not the man's authority over his wife, but his love for her. His authority... Listen to this, fellas. His authority is defined in terms of loving God. Responsibility. To our minds, the words authority suggests power, dominion, and even oppression. We picture the authoritative husband as a domineering figure who makes all the decisions, issues, commands, expects obedience, inhibits and suppresses his wife, and so prevents her from growing into a mature or fulfilled person. Listen. But this is not at all the kind of headship which the Apostle is describing, whose model is Jesus Christ. Certainly, headship implies a degree of leadership and initiative as when Christ comes to woo and win His bride. But more specifically, here it is, listen. It implies sacrifice, self-giving, For the sake of the Beloved. As when Christ gave Himself for His bride. If headship, listen, fellas. If headship means power in any sense, then it is power to care, not to crush. Power to serve, not to to dominate power, to facilitate self-fulfillment, not to frustrate or destroy it. And in all this, the standard of the husband's love is to be the cross of Christ on which he surrendered himself even to death in his selfless love for his bride. How do you do that? Why? Why would any of us, male or female, why would anyone submit in this way? Us to our Savior. Us to each other. Wives to their husbands. Husbands to the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to Him in order to love their wives the way He's described. Why in the world would any of us do this? Well, let me give you one reason. And then one other little quote from Stott. One reason is, because He did it for you, you must do it for others. It's not an option. And if it isn't being done, if you ladies are not giving respect and honor and and devotion to your husbands, and, and husbands, if you're not loving your wives in this way, then you, you, have, you have got to reorient your life first and foremost to Jesus Christ, to your Savior. And when you do, the first thing He's going to do is move you back into those relationships as difficult as they may be. Why do it? Because that is going to be the only way any of you will ever deal, or myself, any of us will ever deal with our selfishness and our self-orientation. Let me finish with this from Stott. And we'll be done. Jesus Christ demonstrates, listen, Jesus Christ demonstrates rather than losing His dignity by His subordination to the Father. When a person is voluntarily, now He's talking to all of us, husbands, wives, children, employees, employers, When a person is voluntarily amenable to another, gives way to him, places himself at his service, he shows greater dignity and freedom than any individual who cannot bear to be a helper and a partner to anyone but themselves. Ephesians 5 supports anything. It supports anything but blind obedience or the breaking of, of the wife's will. Rather, this chapter shows that in the realm of the crucified Messiah, the servant of God, the subjects respect an order of freedom and equality in which one person assists the other seemingly to the renunciation of their own rights and privileges and actually exercise the very rights and privileges of the Messiah Himself. Jesus Christ loved us, loved you and I to this extent that he, when the Father said, My people are in trouble, will you go? Jesus said, Yes, Me for them. Me for them. Husbands and wives, we've got to start saying to one another, Me for you. In our relationships. Me for you. Well, you don't know what my wife did to me. You don't know what my husband I don't need to know. It's me for you. How far? To the cross. Will you do it? Will you go? Will you take up your cross and follow him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. And I know this is tough and I' I know that there are a million scenarios even in this room with these few folks in our church that we couldn't possibly address every scenario, but Your cross addresses every possible scenario. And so I pray, Father, that in this moment, in these few uh, moments as we come to Your table, that some true healing will go on in the hearts and lives of Your people. Help us to To focus ourselves on the cross of Jesus, our King. Understanding that we're called to that same life of sacrifice and submission to Him. Wives to their husbands. Husbands loving their wives. Children obeying their parents. Parents loving and bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And servants and masters, employers and employees. Treating one another with dignity and respect. Please help us to do that, Father, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.